0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the letter of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, children ages 4 and 5 can be dismissed to my left and your right. And as you're turning to Colossians 1, just overcome with, with the reality of the lyrics that we sang this morning. I know I just prayed those things, but you know Martin Luther wrote a mighty fortress is our god and he did so in the heart of the reformation the protestant reformation coming out of out of the dark ages and it was a time when it truly was dark because there was there were no the the the, the scriptures were not in the language of the people and the people were being sort of held hostage by the church of the day who spoke in latin and and uh, and sort of just kept the gospel at an arm's length from the people and and really uh, really used and abused people. And, and so when Martin Luther and the other Reformers came on scene, they wrote these beautiful truths of Scripture and the Gospel. And and we lose a lot in the translation from German, which Martin Luther would have written that song in, to when it was translated into English. And, you know, one simple thing there, I was reading yesterday looking at that song, you know, the the translation says, though with devils filled. And it's, it, it doesn't do justice to what he was saying. It's, it's not saying that if this were the case or, or whatever. He's saying not just, not just demons, but if we lived in a world where Satan had multiple equals and they were all out to get us, that we have a, a crucified Savior who has won the battle and defeated them all. And I don't know if that charges you up, but it charges me up this morning. And that's why we gather here is because Jesus lived in our place died in our place, and I'm thankful for that this morning. So Colossians 1, I'm going to begin reading. I want to read through verses uh, 24 through 29 this morning, and then i want to walk through this passage uh, and just share my heart with you from this passage this morning. Colossians 1, 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the, the sake of his body, that is, the church warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This morning we come to this passage and Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians and he's writing to a church that he's never met. His, his work in Asia Minor had spilled over into Colossae through one of his converts. A man named Epaphras had heard the gospel and had been converted to Christ and had gone back to his hometown in Colossae and took the gospel back with him. And Paul's writing a letter to the believers that are there, never having met them, and he says something that is is strange to our ears. He tells them that he has been called to serve the body of Christ, but he uses even more peculiar language in that he says that he rejoices in his sufferings for their sake for the sake of a people that he had never met. He says things like, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And by that, Paul does not mean that there is something lacking in the atoning work of Jesus. He knows that Jesus went to the cross and then paid the price in full. He's not having to fill up something that Christ left undone. Instead, what he's saying is that that he will gladly suffer the... uh, the, the, the mocking and, and, and all that the world, the hatred that they would pour on Him because Jesus has left and left His followers behind. And if they hated Jesus, they would hate us as well. And so He would gladly suffer for the sake of the gospel. When Paul here says that He rejoices in His sufferings, that's a phrase or, or a sentiment or a thought that doesn't make sense with us. We, we don't think of rejoice being paired with suffering. Those two things don't go together. You don't arrive at, at that, that place by human reasoning. Human reasoning says that uh, when you suffer that you should bicker about it, that you should gripe, that you should complain. Uh, we, we live in a day and age where being offended is the supreme virtue of our day. And this is, this is what human reasoning takes us to, is that when I suffer, when I'm in pain, I should get out. I should run away. I should go to what's comfortable. I should, I should not suffer at all. But Paul here says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. You see, Paul wasn't using human reasoning. When Paul here says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, the church of which I became a minister, he, he's not using human reasoning. Instead, he can make that claim because his life is no longer his own. He has been made a minister. He has a godly call. And if God were to call him to go, and if God were to call him to suffer, then he would rejoice in that for being counted worthy to suffer and to go. You see, being a minister of the gospel was the last path that Paul would have taken. If you, if you know anything about Paul, before he was known as Paul, he was Saul. And Saul, in his day, before he was saved, on the road to Damascus, he was, being, he was, he was rising up through the ranks of Judaism. He had become the leading persecutor against this new wave of the church. And he had no, no, it was not on his radar at all to become a minister of the gospel. And instead, he went from persecuting the church, arresting them, having them thrown in prison, killing them, to now he rejoices that he gets to suffer for their sake. You say, that makes no sense apart from God. He rejoices because he has been made a minister. He has a stewardship that has been given to him from God. He is not his own. He doesn't represent Himself. He does not carry out His own whims and will. Instead, He he does what He does because He is carrying out the commands of one that is greater. He does so for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. This is one of the hardest things I will have to do in my life. But in the same way, I would have never chosen ministry either. If you knew me in my high school days, if you knew me in, in those days where I was struggling and running from this call to ministry, you would have said, no, that, that guy would never be a pastor. Yet here I am, and now I can't imagine anything else. Almost 10 years ago, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, Abner Creek. The things are not, are, are, they're peaceful now, they weren't always Peaceful. When I came to be your pastor almost 10 years ago, I came into a place where uh, things were, were hostile at, at some times. They were turbulent. Not all, not, some of you were here then, and, and you're still here, and some of you are here right now, and, and you look back on those days, and, and if we're honest with one another and we look one another in the eyes, some of you didn't like me very much then. And that's okay. Because if I'm honest in my flesh, if I, if I allowed myself to go there, This is just gut level honest, real people. There were times when I didn't feel real fondly of you either. But over the course of the last 10 years, God has knit our hearts together. And God has given me a love for you that I can't explain. A lot of you weren't here then. Some of you are in this room and and, uh, you've come within the last seven, eight, years or the last three or four years maybe the last six months or so and you have no idea what i'm talking about and you've walked into a place that seems to be we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but you've walked into a place that seems to be gospel-centered and god-focused and a place where the people love one another and want to serve him to his glory and i praise god for that Whether you were here 10 years ago or whether you have come in the last little bit, I can honestly say that I stand before you as your pastor admitting to you that for the most part you've stood with me and locked arms with me in order to take the gospel to our community and the nations, to advance his kingdom through this church. And I think back to 10 years ago, it was, it was uh, April 1st of, uh, of 2009 when I first received a phone call from Candace Johnson. And uh, my wife and I were serving as as I was a student pastor in Georgia and we had we had sensed that God was calling me back to pastor again. And and, uh, we we prayed and, and we sought the Lord and we sat in the backyard and we just we just sought his face and we knew that we had a calling on our lives. I've never been more sure of that in my life, but I didn't know what the details of that were. And when I received that phone call and God began to fill out the details, and I heard about this place, Abner Creek Baptist Church in Greer, South Carolina, I remember sitting in that, that, the backyard with my wife and prayed, and we asked God to give us vision for this place. We prayed for real people and real worship and real change and real purpose. And by His grace, we have not arrived, but we have seen Him do largely a lot of that. In the almost 10 years that I have served as your pastor, I have preached, I've lost track of, the number of funerals and weddings. I've counseled with young couples in my office, led them through what it meant to be married, and, 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 and prayed that they would make it. In the time that I've been your pastor, I have preached through 10 different books of the Bible, some of them quicker than others. We wandered in the wilderness with the Israelites in Exodus for a while. And i preached through Exodus and Ruth and Nehemiah, And Jonah and Mark and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and James and 1 Peter and 1 John and significant portions of a lot of other books as well. Over that time, we sought to create a children's ministry that young families would feel good about bringing their children to, where we could partner with parents and and they could disciple children to love the Lord and, and leave everything to follow Him. We worked hard to build in a security system and, and a curriculum that pointed them to the gospel and pointed them to Christ. I've watched your kids grow up, and over the last almost 10 years, you've watched mine. When I came here almost 10 years ago, Abby was 8 years old. <laughs> Makai was 10. We've sent teams to do mission work in Toronto and Peru and Honduras and New York City and Kentucky and West Virginia. We've sent ministers out to serve local churches in South Carolina and North Carolina and Kentucky and Maine and North Africa. We've taken the gospel to our community through things like cookouts and fall festivals and Sunday morning truck stop ministry and Easter events, Good News Club, barnyard balloons, basketball, softball, and there's so many more. We've labored together to become a much healthier church. We've not always agreed. We've made necessary changes to things like bylaws in order to make us more healthy. we've, We've seen God do some incredible things. We've labored to make membership more meaningful. I've lost track of how many times I've taught through the class Membership Matters. My wife and I have taught every single one of those from the time we've been here. And it has been a joy. We've we've labored. I remember those early days serving with the deacons. and, And while I thank God for every one of them, the last several years with our deacons have been so sweet. It's not been something that the deacons' meetings have not been anything that I have come to dread. In fact, I look forward to those. Because I go into a room with men who love the Lord Jesus and want to follow Him no matter what the cost. We've, we've labored to, to, at times, get uncomfortable and practice church discipline for the love of the person and the good of the body and the glory of Christ. Our Sunday school classes, people have grown, and our life groups, people have, have met in living rooms and, and opened their hearts and shared their lives and poured out their struggles encouraged one another and prayed with one another. We've labored in this place to sing songs that were gospel-centered, that that had meaningful substance in what we sang. And I'm thankful for that. You see, almost 10 years ago, I was made a minister for your sake. And I rejoice in all that God has allowed me to experience and at times endure with you. But now, just as I was made a minister for you 10 years ago, I am being made a minister for another faith family within Christ's body. God is calling me to serve as the senior pastor of Central Baptist Church in Winchester, Kentucky. It's hard to say, but my final Sunday will be March 3rd. I love you with all my heart. I know that there will be questions that I want to answer today. And I pray that you'll forgive me and indulge me to do it this way, but I couldn't stand the thought of just coming back up and reading a letter to you. Some of you will assume that, that I'm here today and, and, and I'm at this point because I entered doctoral work and I've, I'm coming to the end of that doctoral work and it's simply just time and I'm finishing up. And so some of you have assumed that when I finished that, that I would leave and go to another church and that couldn't be any further from the truth because I'm still not through. I still have work to do. My wife would tell you, I've got a lot of work to do still. I've enjoyed that process. and I didn't go into that process thinking that one day it would lead to this. So this has nothing to do with that. When I came to Abner Creek almost 10 years ago, I truly hoped that it would be the last place that God would ever send me. But in my heart and outside of my prayers, I knew that there may come a day where he may call and send me somewhere else. And if he did, that I must go. In some ways, I announce this to you today, and I go reluctantly because I love you. In other ways, I'm excited because I look back over the last 10 years and I see all that God has done. And I know that what he's calling me to, he's going to do some incredible things where he's sending us to. And so this is truly bittersweet. I think the, the phrase, the term bittersweet is used probably too often, but this truly is bittersweet. Because I fluctuate between moments of just the bitter, sour sadness to the exuberant joy that I'm still counted worthy to suffer for the glory of his name one day I hope to look back at my life and rather than mourn all the things that I have missed out on, retiring in a warmer climate like South Carolina than Kentucky, rather than looking back and mourning all the things that I've missed out on, I hope one day that I can see the tapestry made up of all the threads along the way. At Ebner Creek, I want you to know that you will forever be a significant part of that tapestry to God's glory. What I want to do, and you may say you have no right to do that because you just told us you were leaving, but I would like to give you a charge. I want to give you a charge going forward from this passage. I want to use, use God's word here as I've sought to do since I've become your pastor, and I want to show you what God would call us to do. I want to give a charge to myself as I leave to go and pastor another people. I want to give a charge to you as you will begin the process to look for your next pastor. And I want to give a charge that is also to you as the body that whether you whether I'm here or someone else is here you still have this calling on your life as well so it comes from the passage this morning and the first thing I would say to you the charge to myself and to you is don't stop being given to the gospel be given to the gospel verses 25 through 27 Paul writes there to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Paul here calls the gospel a mystery. But it's, it's not just any mystery. It's not, it's not the type of mystery that sometimes we're accustomed to, to coming across that we just can't solve. This is not a a mystery that that will remain hidden forever. It was hidden for ages and generations, but throughout the course of history, God has been revealing little pieces along the way of this mystery. Pieces of the Gospel that caused people throughout the centuries to look forward with this not-yet-expectancy of the One that was promised. And to look backwards to try to piece together the clues that they had experienced at their point in time in history. And today, we sit here having, living in this point in history when we don't have to wait on more pieces, but instead, the key piece of the mystery has been revealed, and it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is the hope of glory, what that means is that there is still a world outside of these doors that live in homes that have been built all around us. There are people that that right now are are living in India and Africa and in Toronto and in Peru and all these places that have not found the peace that is missing. The, The hope of glory has not been revealed to them yet. And if that's the case for them, if they have not received Christ as Savior, then if He is our hope, then if they don't have Him, what it means is, church, they are without hope. They are indeed hopeless. And unless someone comes and reveals to them the the key missing piece of this mystery, then they will remain without hope. They will have no hope of glory. Jesus is that peace. And what it means for you and I is that for unbelievers, unbelievers don't move forward toward God without this piece of knowledge. Without knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who lived in their place and died in their place. They can't make one move toward God unless someone tells them, so church, I would implore you, be given to the Gospel for the sake of your community and the nations. There's a second implication though in not just for unbelievers, but for believers. And you've heard me say this over and over again, but just as unbelievers don't move forward without the Gospel, believers don't move forward past the Gospel. We don't somehow graduate beyond Christ being the hope of glory. We return to this over and over and over and over again. And we, you and I struggle day to day to keep the faith and follow Him and and, and shun sin and live to His glory, we we still wrestle with this and we must come back to the fact when when we fail, He is still Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we must never move past this. We must be given to the Gospel personally and for the sake of our neighborhood and the nations. The second charge that I would give you from this passage is not only be given to the Gospel, but be passionate about preaching for transformation and again, I would go, some of you will go to this place and you'll say, be passionate about preaching, but pastor, you're the preacher. If you leave, then no one's going to be here to preach. To which I would say, I hope if you've been around for any time at all, you would not say that to me face to face. Because all of us have been given this mandate to preach the gospel. Be serious about being passionate about preaching for transformation. Verse 28, Him Christ in us, the hope of glory, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, this is my profession in some ways, it's my calling. In some ways I preach for a living and and I hear people sometimes say preaching is is an outdated mode of communication, that we should move past preaching, that we should instead move more to discussion and, and conversation. Instead of having some guy up here on a platform speaking and being the only one up here speaking, then instead I should come down off this platform, we should rearrange these chairs, and we should all just weigh in together. But I would tell you that God doesn't say that. God's Word hasn't changed. God doesn't ask us to pull together a group of opinions. Instead, God says to us, preach the Word. The Word is authoritative, and therefore, if it is authoritative, if it is ultimate, absolute truth, then it doesn't doesn't subject itself to the the whims and the understandings and the desires of God a different group of people. Instead, it is truth whether it is believed or nuanced or not. It is truth. And if it is truth, it, de- it demands that it be declared. If there were a fire to break out somewhere in this building and someone were to realize it, they would not come bursting into this room and say, Okay, thought you guys should know there's a fire over here. Let's get together and let's discuss how we're going to handle this. Instead, if a fire breaks out in this building, I hope someone will break in and say, Fire! Right? And they declare I'll wake you up. <laughs> See, God hasn't called us to collect opinions. He's called us to preach the Word. Be passionate about preaching for transformation. Preaching is not outdated according to God. It's not always quick either. It takes time, but it's God's way. Preaching is steady work. Preaching is not always welcome. When you have to warn people and teach people, you ever met somebody that's just not teachable? I stand before some of, the, some of those every single week, right? It's not always received well. When you have to go and you have to tell someone that what they are doing is not good and it's not right and they should stop doing it, that's not always received well. It's not always popular. It's not always welcome. For that reason, preaching can sometimes be frustrating I've shared with you before, that's why I like to mow my grass. It's Because at least when I mow my grass, I get to the end of my yard and I see a finished product. In almost ten years, I've not, I've not yet seen a finished product here. And I don't mean that in a joking way. It means that we're still being conformed to the image of Christ. And we, and we will be until He comes again or we're with Him. Preaching is not fast. It's not quick. It's not the most efficient way, perhaps, but it is God's way. And it is the way that Abner Creek will be built going forward. Al Mohler calls it silent, invisible surgery of the soul. And that is exactly right. I know that in this place that there every week, as I've preached over the last 10 years, that there there have been things that have happened in your life. God has changed you in ways that I will never see or I will never know. And so I would, I would challenge you, I would charge you to be passionate about preaching for transformation. No matter how unpopular it is or how long it takes, don't forsake the preaching of God's Word. And the third charge that I would give to you this morning, and this is the final one, is to depend on God. To depend on God. Verse 29, it says there that... Uh, He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I would tell you, don't get past the point where you realize your need for him. When I leave here and I'm no longer your pastor, some of you will will be tempted to say, well, Abner Creek doesn't have a pastor at the moment. Don't be misled by that statement because that statement's not true. When I leave this place and before you bring someone else on, you will not be without a pastor. Abner Creek has never been without a pastor, and Abner Creek will never be without a pastor because Jesus has promised to never leave nor forsake this assembly. And for the past ten years, you've you've not had me as the sole pastor of this church. You've had one chief shepherd, one chief pastor, and his name has been Jesus, and I have served as his under-shepherd here. You will never be without a pastor because Jesus is indeed your pastor. Whoever you call to be your next pastor, understand that he must first be your pastor before you call the next person. Because in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, not, I'll bring in a guy and he will build the church. But instead, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So depend on God. That's why Paul said, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I can say to you, Have I done it perfectly? No. There's a lot of things that I wish God would have accomplished through me while I was here. There's a lot of things that I wish I was better at, that I had gifts in certain areas, that I could have led better. There's tons of that. But, but I can tell you that to the best of my ability, I stand before you. And I have, like Paul, for almost 10 years, toiled with his energy. Counting on him to do the work through his word. And I would charge you today, church, to toil with the supernatural energy of God that resides within you, and he will not abandon you either. So today, in one of the hardest days that I will ever have in ministry, I stand before you and I tell you that I am being called away. But like Paul, I rejoice in even this suffering for your sake so that God might be glorified. The best day for Abbott Creek be the future days to his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace for this moment. I am keenly aware that I could not have just done, did what I just did for the last 30 minutes plus unless you had been working powerfully within me. Powerfully to restrain emotion at times. And, Lord, power to be bold when your word called for boldness. God, I'm reminded that, Lord, I am not eloquent. I gave you the same excuses that Moses did when you were calling me to this. But, God, I'm reminded and I stand here before your people today. And I just would be remiss to, to not say this. You call the foolish things of this world. To confound the wise. The weak things of this world. To shame the strong. You're not looking for for a group of people or a person who would stand and, and deliver in such a way that others would see that person or that group. But instead, Lord, you have called me and you've called this faith family to pour out our lives, Lord. To rejoice In your calling to suffer so that they might see you, that they might be impressed by you. God, now I pray, Lord, in the response to an atypical message, Lord, I pray, God, that you would direct, that you would lead. God, that you would call your people to respond. Lord, would you do so for your own glory? It's in Jesus' name. Amen want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond and I don't know how to do this in this message I think more than anything I would call you to pray to call you to pray for for Lana and I and Abby and Micaiah that you pray for us that, to know that we're praying for you I don't know if there's anything that God has directly asked you to do in response to his word today but I would would challenge you to respond affirmatively if if so Maybe you want to come and just kneel across the front and pray. Whatever it is that God is leading you to today, I would just implore you to do it. To just move, to say yes, to be obedient. Whatever it is, to His glory. Let's worship Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.